Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Sandspans Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. I'm George Demarellis. Today on the show, you may have seen her on the recent Survivor Brains vs. Brawn season. She's also an international model with degrees in both biology and law, an environmentalist and science communicator. Laura Wells, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm covered in paint, but um, other than that, I'm great. <laughs> look, it's a look. You know, it's the whole Renault look. I think you're doing, you're, you're nailing it. I, I am nailing it with uh, house paint on my fingernails. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Is that, a, is that a new place you're uh, moving into or is it just making the old one look nicer? Yeah, we're currently living in our renovating uh, hellhole right now, but um, we will be living here for a little while too. <laughs> I've had friends who said like they one moved out and said it was the best decision ever because yeah, renovating whilst living there is very hard. It never ends. <laughs> it is. We don't even have a toilet right now. <laughs> It's like ba- being back on Survivor. <laughs> I was going to say, you've, you've had some good training for that though, haven't you? So I have. Uh, sleeping under the stars and pooping in a hole. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's, if you're an environmentalist, you've got to be able to embrace that stuff, right? That's how it all is. Absolutely. I'm one with nature. <laughs> that's a point worth putting. I like that, yes. <laughs> or, or doing my number ones in nature. <laughs> or both. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, look, we've I, like your intro covered so much, but how about we start with the uh, book and then we'll jump around from there, uh, if that's cool. Um, Absolutely. So, you, 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 if you want to introduce, your book of choice for today is? My book of choice for today is the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Peculiar Pairs in Nature by Sammy Bailey. <laughs> and it is awesome. I like that. Yes. Uh, do you want to give a quick description of what it is? Absolutely. So it's um, this amazing book. It's only just come out in the last couple of months and uh, it's literally exactly what it says, an uh, illustrated encyclopedia. It's for adults and kids. And it's all about symbiotic relationships in nature between different animals or flora and fauna. And there is just some absolutely mind-blowing connections and relationships in this book that things you've never heard of before, really weird, quirky things, um, just animals from all over the world world and it's just this you know amazing mind-blowing book that you don't want to put down and it's super easy to read yeah like that i mean when you mentioned that i looked it up and i was like oh yeah that does sound like such an interesting insight you don't think about as much because like when you're saying symbiotic relationship you just mean like basically two animals that 
almost use each other to survive or use isn't the right word, but they need each other to kind of survive. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, Symbiotic relationships can be all different forms. So there's commensalism where one animal benefits and another one, it's to the other one's detriment. There's mutualism, which uh, both animals benefit. And then there is, oh no, how can I forget this? And I'm a, I'm a biologist and I was only telling someone about this the other day. Hold on. Commensalism, mutualism, and I, I'm going to come back to this because okay. I am like got my head stuck in like a paint can right now. Exactly, I think that's fair enough. Your heads are covered in paint, and I'm asking you biological. Well, actually, you're asking yourself. I didn't ask for the names. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I happily gave them up to uh, you know ex- tell my extreme uh, you know absolute. Oh wait, hold on. I'm going to get this. Predation, predation. Yeah. So there's predation where one. One benefits, obviously, to the detriment of the other. Mm-hmm. Mutualism and commensalism. Oh, parasitism. That's the other one. God, what am I thinking? Parasitism, commensalism, and mutualism. Yeah. Okay. So one parasite, obviously, that makes sense. Commensalism, one benefits, the other one doesn't. And mutualism, they both benefit. Okay. Right. We got there. Okay. Man, that was a struggle. No, no, look, it was it was fun to experience that live, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Know? you. I mean, feel free to cut all that crap out. <laughs> and you can leave that in too. <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, so, like, yeah, because straight off the thing is interesting because, like, okay, this you can I can jump to about 50 different things of what this says about your own stuff that you do. But I guess I'll start with the most basic and obvious, which is, like, from the animal point of view. Um, do you have an example of that? Like, because it is oh very cool. God. So, is there, like, that stands out that people will be like, there what? Are- Yes, there are so many that stands out. And um, I think one of my most favorite and my most weird, uh, it's something that I knew about before reading this book, but page 62 of the book really highlights this uh, in a really good way. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It's the green banded brood sack and the amber snail. So think of um, an amber snail like a typical garden snail that you find. And the green banded brood sack is a flatworm. And this is a form of parasitism. So the worm actually gets itself inside of the snail. So the snail eats the egg of the worm and then the worm infects the snail and gets into its eye stalks and grows within its eye stalks and basically turns this snail into a zombie (laughs) And the worm is now controlling the is the zombie. The worm is now controlling the snail through its eyes, and what it does is it wiggles its eyes around like it's a juicy caterpillar. A bird then comes down and eats the snail. This gets hectic, man. So we've got this like zombie snail that is inhabited by a worm that's pretending to be a caterpillar within the snail's eyes. The bird then eats the worm and this is perfect for the worm because then the worm lives inside the bird's anus (laughs) to finish its life cycle for the bird to then shit out the worm and the life cycle to begin all over again so that a snail can eat the egg of a green banded brood sack. (laughs) I I was... Uh, to be honest, you started with the first. I was like the zombie thing. I'm like, oh yeah, I think I've heard something like that before. But then that's like at a whole other level. I can't. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, man. Oh, it's it's incredible. <laughs> like that's because like you just like evolution to produce that. Like it takes so long. Like it's so weird that all of them are involved in that process in a way. In a weird. I, way. I know. And how like you know, next time you look at a cute little garden snail, check out its eyes because it might be inhabited and be a zombie uh, from this green branded. Fruit sack worm. 
See, I like. Yeah, no, that's that is a, that's a good one. Although that does sound like a purely parasitic one, I guess. That yes, that is definitely parasitic. The, the snail is not coming back from that guy. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I think that would have to be one of my favorites. No, no, like that's it's a great one. I agree. Thank you. Um, Thank you. This probably actually ties in as well with the other thing because, like, obviously, yes, you look at something like that, and probably as well, that's parasitic. It shows you how like complex and interconnected the environment is, I guess. Oh and, my God. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And so like, I'm looking at like your history. I mean, obviously we should talk about the survivor stuff. So there'll be some fans who'll be like, tell us everything, but actually I'm so interested in the science stuff as well. Um, because your, your job, but like well, one of the things you say is, as a science communicator um, is like to explain this biodiversity, I guess the way that it's all interconnected. Um, mm-hmm. These are kind of examples you use. Like how, what is that like to get across to people? I guess. Yeah, um, I think the weirder and grosser the examples, the better. <laughs> Mainly because, you know, I have the mind of a five-year-old child and I like fart and poop jokes. So uh, if I'm going to enjoy the examples, then I'm sure other people will too. But yeah. um, <laughs> for me, anuses, that's what I- <laughs> right, I mean, God, nature is crazy. Uh, <laughs> full of secret bottles. Um, <laughs> but for me, I guess working as a science communicator, so I studied... Um, biology, uh, marine biology, and I really loved the fact that I learned about all of these amazing connections in nature and how interconnected not only nature is aside from us, but how interconnected we are with nature and how it basically fuels us to be able to live. And, you know, if we weren't here, nature would just go on without us and it would be fine. So that kind of, I went down that road and I really loved learning everything about biology. And then living overseas and working as a model and and getting to visit all of these amazing, beautiful um, locations to shoot in, I started seeing really like our human impact on the world and it made me realise, you know, what I've learned in biology like this and what we are now doing to the planet, it needs to be spoken about. People need to understand this because if we don't protect the world around us, we are not going to survive. And it, that's kind of led me into this world of a science communicator and really fostering and teaching and sharing solutions about how we as humans can really do better um, in our everyday lives to positively affect the world around us. And I absolutely love that as a science communicator. But yes, uh, the grosser and the more weird the examples of things I can use, the better. <laughs> yeah, no, I could. it definitely helps. Yeah. Um, the So I guess like on that note, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but like, I guess one of the things, because it seems to mirror in some ways, uh, the one that stands out to me straight away is like someone like David Attenborough, who started off, you know, obviously just with a passion for it. But then over time, he's slowly become a more and more like outspoken in what he's been seeing in front of him. And it's like almost that now it seems like his main focus is just that rather than the other stuff. Um, like, which I guess is like, is it, you kind of have to, don't you? When- yeah. I think you have a responsibility mm. to do that when you have a voice and you have a platform and a love and a knowledge and a passion about it um, and an understanding because I mean, I guess with Sir David Attenborough, I love the fact that now he is very vocal about what we are doing to the planet, what he's seen over his immense career, literally spanning decades, um, and, you know, what we're doing but also what we can do and the fact that there is hope and that we need to work together. And I love the fact that his tune has changed from, you know, this is the amazing world and look at all of these interactions to 
well, actually, guys, we're kind of fucked it here. And I've, I've witnessed it. polite language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he says it in a very uh, more eloquent way than that. <laughs> or you dickheads, you've really fucked it up. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, yeah, I love this transition that he's now having because he is so revered in the industry and people look at him as an authority on our environment and all these animals to then for him to turn around and say, well, actually, guys, this is what we're doing and it's super negative and we need to wake up because I've shown you all these things and you're fallen in love with all of these creatures and these ecosystems. Now it's time to protect them and it's up to us. And, you know, we are the last generation that is here that is going to experience these, but we are the generation that needs to change right now and, and make a positive impact. Um, for all the future generations going forward. So I love that about him. And I guess from my point of view and what I do now is, you know, really taking that and taking that part of his transition to show people, well, yeah, there are all these things that you can do every single day to make a difference. And they they can be as tiny as not flushing the toilet when you do a pee um, <laughs> to, you know, bigger and better things like where you invest your superannuation. So, you know, the boring adult things, mm. um, but there's lots of things we can do. Yeah. I think that's part of like, uh, I mean, I guess, do you have, cause I feel it sometimes, especially when you have friends and maybe you now don't have to deal with those people anymore, but like who still don't seem to get the full like seriousness. Because like, I think it's, it's almost the case where if you, you can't possibly get the full seriousness of it because it would be overwhelming, but like that doesn't mean you can't at least acknowledge that you're choosing not to get it and then do the best you can is kind of how I look at it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really hard to uh, put the blinkers on and just completely tune out to all of the things that are going on, especially with the environment. Um, but it is easy to just to, it is easy to tune out when life gets in the way. But I think when there are simple little habits that you can create to make a difference, then, um, then it makes it a little bit easier to comprehend and digest because there is so much and it can be really overwhelming and it can cause a lot of people to spiral to the depths of environmental depression and be like, well, it doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. So why would I bother? Um, So changing that mindset and turning it into a positive one because those little things that you can change and that do turn into a positive allow you to keep the ball rolling and you want to then do bigger and better things and you inadvertently spread the message to all of the people around you as well just by doing those little things. Yes. Yeah, so is that something you had like you experienced yourself, like kind of swinging into that and then trying to come out of it or was it something you've kind of been on top of? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, definitely. I have spent so much time working on environmental campaigns with a lot of amazing people and getting so many facts and figures thrown at me that at one stage I was like, well, it's screwed. I mean, what's the bloody point? Uh, I, am I just preaching to a, you know a brick wall because it's not just it shouldn't be the burden shouldn't be on the individual to change. It should actually be on governments and corporations, and there should be legislation and regulation and policy around all of these things that are really you know especially contributing negatively to climate change and. So I did kind of fall into this hole, but then I was like, hold on, if you want people to change and you, you know, working as a science communicator, a depresso science communicator that's like, well, don't worry about it, it's fine, um, you know, it's all screwed up, it, that's not really going to affect much change. So I really had to be like, kick my own ass and be like, you know what, 
we can do this. And it takes all of our voices and all of our efforts and little actions to make that difference. And when you grow that choir and it, you know, it turns into an army, then that's when you really affect change from the bottom up to switch it to a top-down approach. So that's when you've got your governments and everyone changing their policy and legislation to really make a huge difference. Yeah, I think like, and I, I think that point, and it, it can be hard because of the fact that, yeah, the only change can happen from such a huge, like, it can, like especially with something like this where there's so many entrenched interests who don't want to do it, the only way you can change it is such a big swell. So like, yeah, it can be a bit daunting when you think about it from an individual point of view. Totally, but- there's so many people out there that want to make a change and we can be that tsunami that we need to really, you know, stick it to our government to to change and, and make the changes that we want to see because our governments are in place for us, technically. So, you know, that's why our votes matter. <laughs> oh, yes, look at me go. Um, <laughs> I'm just so damn positive now. <laughs> I'm all hopped up on environmental ju- advocate juice. Yeah. Look at me go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I know that. I've seen it happen. I've seen change. I've seen policies change. I've seen regulation and governments flip and really do the righty by us and by the environment and by our futures. So if we keep beating that drum loud enough, then it does eventually work. We Mm. just have to make sure we don't fall into that big old environmental depression hole. Yeah, that's it. I know. It's important like kind of, yeah, I guess actually, and especially with you because you're around it, you probably... There's signs that people can tell. It's like, oh, no, he's looking at too many facts. <laughs> Just get away from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I feel for the climate scientists that are in those trenches every single day that are just like, well, do you know what? Like everything, all the science, all the data tells us that we're really fucked up here. Like, you know, and for us to go back and actually make a difference, like we need to do it now. Actually, we needed to do it. 10 years ago, but now would be better than tomorrow. So can we just get on with it? And as a scientist that's dedicated their entire lives to studying this, for them to be put down and told that, oh, I don't know if I really believe in climate change. I mean, the science is not up for debate, dickheads. It, uh, this, you know, it, this is happening. That like, I just I really struggle to fathom how people go, "Mm, I'm not really convinced about climate change. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter if you're not convinced it's actually happening and the science tells us that and you're not a scientist. (laughs) And, you know, what you read on the Daily Mail, I'm sorry, doesn't really cut it, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And so do you interact with people like that still in what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. Um, And I actually did it the other day with one of the tradies that was working at my house who... (laughs) Who literally said to me, yeah, I mean, I'm not really convinced about all this climate change stuff yet. And and as he was fixing our roller doors, I had a really good conversation with him. And, I mean, I started out, you have to start nice and you have to start positive and, and you have to kind of stroke these people's egos into not telling them that, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> you just do it gently. It's like a nice little butt tap, like, well, oh, you're an idiot, but it's okay. We'll get you over the line. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, told him, I, I did tell him that, well, unfortunately the science isn't really up for debate and and your opinion on science, uh, on climate change isn't really relevant because it's actually happening, but these are the reasons why. And so you interact with them on a level that means something to them and and kind of you understand what their centre of gravity is. So for some people it might be economics or their family or their home or, you know, what's really important to these people. And you talk to them on that level and give them examples of 
what climate change like means will mean to them. Um, and that's kind of where you get people and also telling them that, yes, we have had a lot of carbon in our atmosphere in the past, but we've never had it um, happen this fast. And so ecosystems and animals, we can't, they can't adapt and they couldn't adapt last time when it happened slowly. And that's why we have mass extinctions and die offs. So there is no way they can adapt now when it's just this exponential increase of carbon mm. in our atmosphere. Yeah. And is that the kind of thing where, like, I guess because as you, your tone of voice as you were saying that just then suggests <laughs> to me that you've got like probably five or 10 talking points you know they're going to throw at you. You've heard <laughs> 10 million times and you're like, oh, okay, yes, we know. And then like very gently, is that kind of how it works? You've almost know all of the points they're going to make? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, It's usually the same old, same old from these people because they've they've been conditioned and just heard this from you know, misinformation and disinformation as well from specific either media outlets or things that they read or, you know, their circle of friends. Um, so you kind of know the facts to hit them back with mm. um, for those uh, opinions that they have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which works well. I mean, uh, actually the Climate Council, they are one of the best resources for learning how to talk to people about climate change. Uh, they have lots of good talking points on there for like how to talk to someone at Christmas time about climate change and um, yeah, hitting them with all those different um, centers of gravity. Oh, really? Oh, that's that's mm. a really, because I was going to say, that sounds like actually now from your role of communication, that's actually probably part of it is just how to get then get people to spread the communication without you know getting yeah, angry like abso- absolutely and it, you know it takes a long time to realize like to not get angry i used to um run a beach cleanup group every weekend uh in sydney and so we'd go out and pick up rubbish for half an hour on the beach and it was great and you know it brings a lot of people together and teaches a lot of people about plastic pollution and and the detrimental effects it has on our ocean and people would purposefully drop rubbish in front of me for me to pick it up rather than them take it to the bin on their way back to their car. And I would say to them, I'm sorry, but you know, that's not litter. That's, you know, that's your rubbish and you can put in the bin and they would do it again. And I would have to stop myself from getting really, really angry and wanting to rip their heads off. Uh, (laughs) And I realized then once I change my thought process to be like, well, you know what? This person's just actually a dum-dum. They don't know and they're uneducated. So why not educate them in, in this really positive manner? I'd be like, hey, guys, do you know that if you leave that there, that's going to wash out there and it's going to kill this and oh, this and this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and they'd be like, oh, 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 I didn't know that. Oh, I just figured the beach cleaner comes and picks it up. I'm like, well, there ain't no fairy beach cleaner, guys. So you got to put it in the bin and the recycling bin and most people were really positive once you are positive to them if you hit them like with the you're a dickhead pick it up uh they will just continue to be a dickhead because they're defensive they don't want to be told um that they're wrong yeah. so positivity you know even if it's fake is the best way to be <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah because it makes like yeah you can't respond because they were they're already for a fight is almost the thing so if you come in with something absolutely else- yeah, they're already swinging. So, um, yeah, so just come in there with this, like, big cheesy grin. Like, holy, everybody. Uh, it seems to work. Yeah. I mean, that, like, the, the one-second satisfaction of the anger, but way, way more effective and satisfying in the long run. I can see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so just, like, to give some background, I guess, because, yeah, uh, you, like, 
you studied biology uh, when you were younger, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that like always the number one passion? Like how, which direction did you go with the modeling and the law and the- <laughs> I know. I love your list of accomplishments. It sounds like uh, in TV shows when they're describing it, the girl from out of town and they're like, yeah, she's a biologist <laughs> and a lawyer. And it's just- yeah, and she digs around in horse poop for like fun. Um, <laughs> actually, that is kind of almost true, but whale poop. We will just talk about that later. Uh, but um, uh, I, yeah, I, I loved biology and science at school. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Was good at it. Was a big nerd. Like got put into this biology class after school with all the older kids and. Um, you know, I just, I really nerded out on, on science and I knew that when I finished school that I wanted to do some form of science. Um, and originally I was going to study cell and molecular biology and look at DNA. And then I realized actually, I really prefer biology rather than chemistry. And that was really chemistry heavy. So I switched over and, um, and then I thought, oh, actually scientists don't make that much money. Maybe I'll do law too. And I can be um, a protector of our oceans and I can practice law of the sea. And so I can affect, you know, policy and regulation change from being an advocate and a, and a lawyer for our oceans. And then, (laughs) and then I finished doing my law degree and I was like, Oh God, no, that is not for you, Laura. (laughs) Uh, You know, it was great. And I learned a lot, but I just knew that being, in an office all day was just not for me. And then in the meantime, I um, started modeling and (laughs) which was never an intended career path. And so when I graduated, I was like, ah, just do one year of modeling. And then I moved to New York and London and, and it just kind of fostered. And then it just kept going from there. So I've been modeling for like 15 years, full time now and um, have been doing my science all along the way, I guess, and working with lots of brands and on um, environmental campaigns and as an activist and a spokesperson. And it's just grown into this big world of science communication and, and campaigning that I really, really enjoy. Yeah, no, I can. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm feeling very lazy right now. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Um, you know, I just work alongside all of these really friggin' smart people uh, that are just absolute guns. Um, no politics and regulation inside and out. And my background has helped me with that as well. But you know, I've worked with some of the most incredible people within some of these environmental organisations that are just like yes for the environment and god we're going to punch these politicians in the you know metaphorical dick um to to get them to do something (laughs) Uh, and yeah and so it's been such an eye-opener and such a great um stepping stone I i guess and a way to really combine my science with things that i love and affect change in a way that i probably didn't think i could really do um and it's been a privilege to work alongside all of these weapons of the environmental world <laughs> yeah i could I mean, that, that sounds like it and, all, and like i'm guessing as part of it as well you probably have seen as you mentioned at the start like a lot of places around the world like amazing locations which could be sad because maybe seeing how they change but yeah just seeing them like yeah yeah i've been really um privileged with my modeling career that you know i, I have worked all over the world um on it every continent except antarctica but i went to antarctica so that's good um, <laughs> and but you didn't get and, you didn't step onto it. No, I did step onto Antarctica, but I just didn't model there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I went there for a science. I went there on a science trip. Okay. But um, <laughs> no, no, I definitely stepped. I couldn't go all that way without stepping on okay, there. Okay, I was going to say. But, 
Um, but yeah, so I, I travel the world and I still do travel the world or when it opens up again, uh, modeling and been to these really obscure places and places that you wouldn't go to probably if you were just a tourist and been like so privileged to have seen some very remote wilderness and um, work with different conservation groups too all around the world and that's yeah has been such an eye-opener into the yeah effects that we've had on our environment but also just the beauty and the uniqueness of all of these ecosystems that you know we are so privileged to be a part of. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess this is almost probably impossible to answer, but so I'll, I'll give my answer first. But like, <laughs> in terms of the sense of awe, I still remember, this is only just fresh in my memory, because I was in Iceland uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And it was the first time I ever actually realized that a glacier was a mountain of ice <laughs> and standing there and seeing that and like the, just the the feel I've still li- I still feel that feeling now like mm-hmm. I've never felt so much awe in my life than that because it's just like I didn't realize that my brain couldn't compute a mountain made of ice until I saw it but like I don't know do you have any examples like that or things that yeah I mean I really like that um it's like god damn the top of the world is re- is a freezer and it's just frozen <laughs> frozen our mountains uh do you know what actually on that, I have had a sense of awe, but it's like the about glaciers, but the melting of glaciers and the retreat of glaciers. Um, and I had that in Iceland, um, seeing the um, markers in the ground or, or in the ice of where the glacier was only two years before and how far it had retreated and melted. And also in Antarctica, there were um, – little islands that were now exposed and I saw photos from the 1950s of where this glacier was and then looked at it like side like in real life and was like oh wow like that glacier is kilometers away now and there's little islands exposed that were once underneath that glacier and to see that is actually a sense of awe and I guess we think of awe as a positive thing but it was it was awe and it was I guess awe inspiring in the way that you know, we need to change and it was inspiring to and encouraging to be like, no, we need to change now and we need to make our voices heard so that we can change and that people know this and see this and understand this. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, a negative reversal, I guess. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the most positive way of taking that negative focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess that's kind of what I do now all the time is look at something that should be a negative but be like, okay, how, can, how can we turn this into a positive? How can we put a not just not just positive wash it to make it look good and pretty for people but be like, okay, this is a negative, this is really sad, but this can be positive now because we can affect change, we can start action, we can light that fire under your butt to make a difference now, to keep it for your grandkids or, you know, someone for the future. So I've got to see things in that light now to keep myself working. Otherwise, I'd be in a ball in the corner just rocking back and forth. <laughs> That's Yeah, look, I understand. I've had that, like, yeah, kind of gone through it myself a little bit just... 
Yeah, it can feel like a lot. I gotta say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, do do you want to talk? Do you have anything to say about that COP twenty six thing that happened recently? No, <laughs> no. God damn it! Um, I mean, there is so much to say, uh, <laughs> especially. Oh yeah, yeah. God. Um, one, I can't believe. Well, look, I actually can believe Scomo went there, basically funded by the oil industry and Santos, and you know. He went there like it was a trade fair, showcasing Australia's um, Australia's way of doing things, which is oil. And I think the rest of the world just like you guys are a laughing stock. You guys are so stupid. Do you have, do you not read the science? Like it's all there. It's been there for decades. How do you not know? Um, so I I think it's actually embarrassing uh, for Australia as a whole to be at COP twenty six in two thousand and one, spruiking gas. Um, especially when we know how detrimental it is. It's a fossil fuel. It's methane emissions, which are more potent than carbon emissions um, and can do real damage to the to our atmosphere and to the environment. So that um, is crazy. Um, I think the fact that, uh, you know, we signed up to end deforestation, that's great, um, especially for our role in forestry in Australia because we do um, – have a big impact with forestry and deforestation in Australia. So hopefully that's going to make a lot of changes to Australia. Uh, we didn't sign up to end coal <laughs> or phase coal out for obvious reasons because our government right now really has a weird love affair, affair with fossil fuels and coal. <laughs> I mean, so crazy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure ScoMo sleeps with that lump of coal still under his pillow at night. <laughs> Just strokes it. <laughs> and he keeps giving you money, so that's why it yeah. helps. Yeah. Exactly. It's the um, pillow that she keeps delivering. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fairy coal mother's here again. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a lot of negative things. But, you know, and the fact that China and Russia didn't send – um, their presidents is a big thing, um, but there was de- there were their delegates there for the country to negotiate. So that you know, a lot of people get stuck on the fact that oh, the you know, Russia and China weren't there. Well, they were there. They were just there in a different form. But they're still they're the people that do the negotiating. Like the prime minister isn't really in these meetings doing the negotiating as such. Especially, well, I hope Scomo wasn't because he's an idiot. Uh- <laughs> That just gave us a colleague he played in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I'm from Cronulla. I can say what I want about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but all in all, I think um, COP26 now, it's about action and it's about action fast. Um, and I think there's a lot of countries that are willing to move fast. And I think for me, it's about recognizing our neighbors and especially for us in Oceania. Um, and the Pacific, like we have neighbours that are literally going to lose not just their house, their entire country. <laughs> it will be underwater. Uh, if we look at places like Tuvalu, like they're going, they are already environmental refugees, and that's something that we don't think about too often. And it's not only just you know our neighbours of different countries in the South Pacific; it's also our families. It's the Torres Strait Islanders. Uh, they're part of Australia and they're losing their homes too. Like they're digging up, they're buried and moving them because they're being inundated by sea level rise. So we need to think about these people as people. And just because we're not feeling those effects in our backyard right now, or, you know, as an individual, 
we kind of need to move out of that mindset of that individuality and self selfishness and go, well, these are people. And if that was me and I was in their shoes, how would I feel? And there's things that we can do to help these people and, and help humanity, um, as a whole. So I, yeah, for me, it's, it's about, you know, protecting and preserving these amazing countries and places and cultures that are really important to all of humanity. Yeah, no, look, I agree. And I also think like, even though this is probably going to sound, I'm not trying to be cold, but I'm trying to (laughs) kind of go from their point of view. It's like, it also helps you because they're not just going to sit there and be flooded. Like they're going to come to wherever, like as in it's 100%. Not, your, your neighbors being calm is good for you. Like as in 100%. Like, yeah. From as purely selfish reason, it's better. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. And like, if you take it from the point of view of the government right now to refugees that are fleeing, you know, war-torn countries or, you know, we're kind of saying, well, no, you can't come here, but these are now environmental refugees so it's the same thing like are we not going to let them in but they literally don't have a a country they don't have a piece of land anymore to live on so um yeah if we can protect them and their cultures and their habitats and their ecosystems and their amazing biodiversity then it's better for everyone yeah no 100 percent agree um so the oh, got so many different directions I can go with this, but I feel like we did touch on the like, you know I do want, I, this is something I wonder because I actually haven't interviewed a model before, so I, I am curious. Um, so I think one of the things that people can sometimes think with modeling, and I and maybe you can tell me that it's true or not, is that uh, obviously models. Some people are like oh, it's just taking pictures, and it's not that hard, and it's not that much work, and stuff like that. And then like I think that there's a lot of work in it. Firstly, just it's the skill to taking a good picture, but also like just the general work days very intense is that true for some people and not for others is it like oh some of them are the ditzy models people picture or is it like actually they're all very driven and you know how does it fall i guess do you have any comments on that <laughs> yeah well i guess uh the industry is like any other industry and there's you know a spectrum of people that work on it uh but yeah they can be really long grueling days um it isn't just, oh, you just stand in front of a camera and you smile and then you're done. Um, I, you know, sometimes I work 16-hour days in the heat or in other countries and people literally don't speak English, so I've had to just sign language everything for the entire day, <laughs> which is fine and interesting. Um, you know, you'll be working in all different locations, um, temperatures. <laughs> you Quite often you're shooting swimwear on a friggin' freezing cold day in ocean that is just so cold you yeah, you, know, you could key a car with your nipples. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you you know fighting the elements quite often, or um, you know sometimes I literally put on 120 outfits in a day, and people don't understand that. Would you want to get changed 120 times? <laughs> I just don't even know how you could physically get through that many in a day. <laughs> right? I, it's nuts. Like, oh, here come another pair of jeans. Oh, get that off. Like, it is. It's pretty crazy. So. Um, yeah, it's always different. You're always working with, other, with different teams and different people and different personalities and egos, um, abilities, obviously, as well, like new models, more um, established and and models that have been working for a long time. So, they like, I feel like I can just get in on a shoot now and bust it out and then I'm done. Um, you know, people kind of know what they're going to get from me. I've been doing it for such a friggin' long time. I never thought, honestly, I never thought, one, I never thought I'd be, ever be a model. Two, I didn't think I'd still be here doing it right now. But, hey, I actually really enjoy the creativity of a lot of it um, and the fact that I get to meet 
people from all walks of life. The fact that I get to travel and kind of meld that into my environmental world is really cool. But yeah, I mean, some days modeling is great. Other days it's a shit show. Um, (laughs) uh, Some days it can be easy and other days it's just so friggin' hard. You just wiped at the end of the day and then you have to get up the next day and do it all over again. So, and sometimes, you know, I'll fly 27 hours just to go to a job. Um, so people don't like their one hour commute and I'm like, well, I've got to do that for 27 hours and then get off and somehow look good and, (laughs) and be all smiley and happy in front of a camera, but you get it done and you do it for the love of the creativity and the fact that, you know, it helps me be a science communicator too. Mm. So I guess like with the creativity angle, like how do you express that? How do you mean that? Is that just in terms of... (laughs) Um, in terms of the way you move your body, um, the poses you make, the, um, the sets that you're on, or, you know, the, um, you might be shooting at a house or outside or at the beach, like you're always working around and what's around you. So you constantly, your brain is constantly thinking, okay, like, well, what does my body look like here? What does my face look like here? Does the outfit, because usually they're trying to sell an outfit if um, you're working for a company. It's kind of different if you're working for a magazine and you're doing an editorial. That's more about the feeling of the shoot. Whereas if you're working for a company, it's more about selling the garment. So making sure the garment looks good. So you might have a face that looks like a smash crab (laughs) in the photo, but the garment looks good. (laughs) And that's what matters. They're trying to to sell that thing, you know, it's going to fly off the shelves with your face looking like (laughs) you've just chewed on a wasp. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I guess the creativity comes in, um, knowing and understanding your body and being confident with your body too. And one of the things that I love about being in the curvy model or the plus size modeling industry is the fact that I've had and grown in a massive appreciation for my body, something that I never had when I was younger or in high school. You know, I was a size Australian 14 from 14 years old and stereotypically, and especially back then that's seen as like a large size, um, and I was never large. I was just always freaking tall and real sporty. Um, and that was my natural size and it still is today. So for me, you know, feeling uncomfortable as a teenager being that size to now being a 37-year-old woman who's just like, hell yeah, this is my body. This is what it does. My thighs rub together. Big fucking deal. <laughs> At least you down the door. You're like, yeah, Laura's in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'll sit on the toilet and because my thighs touch – it means that I won't drop my phone to the toilet. What a what a freaking f- bonus, right? Like, oh, that is how good is that? That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, that's I awesome. know, I know. So you know, you got to think about these things. You know, you don't need a thigh gap. Mm. You're better off for them to just to rub together. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. So having this appreciation for my body and what it does and what it allows me to achieve now, regardless of what anyone freaking thinks about it, is so liberating. Like I wouldn't be able to do half of the environmental stuff I do or, you know, stand in front of people and talk with authority or model and actively sell something if I felt uh, really negatively about my body. Mm. And so having that appreciation and just a no fucks attitude to what other people think and what other people think my body should look like or how a body should look or how it should move or act like, it's just so goddamn good. <laughs> yeah. And like, I got to say, you dealing with that there would make you better prepared to deal with the, 
uh, let's say close-mindedness that would come with a lot of the science talk as well. Yeah, definitely all of that. And, um, and also like a lot of the really negative, um, very detrimental things that people say on social media. Uh, Oh my God. Like talk about like if, you know, they talk about having thick skin, like I must have a frigging dinosaur skin because the amount of shit that has been spoken in the past, um, not so much anymore or a little bit from survivor, but whatever. Um, I actually don't care. Uh, like it, I feel like I'm impenetrable. Right. <laughs> I'm wearing a chain mail suit of skin. And I'm like, your words cannot hurt me. Random people on the internet sitting behind a screen. Yeah. Was uh, that, yeah. Is that like, um, was that a, again, a, a conscious thing that took time to develop? Like when you first started out, you'd get comments. Cause like, I'm not saying 37. So back when you started, there was no Twitter. It wasn't there. There was no back in the day, son. The there was no social media when I started the modeling. Our insults are in person, not like you guys with your web. <laughs> they were just spit it in my face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, they sent me a letter with abuse to my home. <laughs> And ring my parents' landline. Oh my God, that sounds like it's coming from a true place. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I, yeah, social media didn't start. What did I? Oh, I do remember this. I got on. Um, well, I had a Facebook page, but my Instagram like started, I think, in 2012. So I'd already been modelling for a while by then. Um, and yeah, I did. Oh, but there were like blogs and things. So before social media, you know, people would be posting your images on blogs and people would be commenting on that. And you'd go for a scroll and at first I'd be like, oh, shit, man. Like, man, this is really getting me. This is cutting me deep right to the heart. Uh, and then I started being like, what? They're, I didn't even know these people. Like, <laughs> why do I even care what they think about me? I don't have to make them happy. And their opinion of me is none of my business, really, because it actually shouldn't affect me and it shouldn't matter at all. So I really, um, yeah, learned fast to get over it and just not worry about them because I knew what I was doing was making me happy. I was, um, I had a purpose to my life and I was making a difference. And to me, those were fundamentally, um, my core values. And if I was living up to them, then it doesn't really matter what anyone actually thinks. Um, (laughs) so, and you know, like when I go snorkeling and scuba diving and, I go picking up rubbish. Like the fish and the dolphins and the whales don't give a shit if I have a fat ass. Like, <laughs> so why do I care if, you know, Joe Skits 69 cares if I have a fat ass? Like, I should never care. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Joe Skits. <laughs> I've burnt your I've burnt your comment into my memory. No, no. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, I guess I just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but funny enough, Survivor and being on Survivor, um, Man, there are some real Survivor fans that are total dicks out there on social media. Holy crap. Um, And I know there's people on previous Survivors and this one that, you know, weren't really prepared for the onslaught of comments that um, are really thrown at you on socials. And there's some really disgusting, really, really disgusting comments out there. Um, So, you know, we all work together to move past it and there were some some things that got to me and it wasn't so much about me personally it was about other people and friends of mine that I made on the show um and just people with a lot of naivety around obviously reality tv and social media in general uh not understanding that what you see on tv 
is like minuscule compared to what actually happened out there. So, you know, a one hour episode is actually 48 to 72 hours of real life condensed. Um, and so of course you're not going to see everything and understand everything and know everything that's going on. So you've got to be open-minded about what has actually been shown to you on TV and be like, oh, okay, well, yeah. So I, maybe I didn't like that about that person, but I actually don't know the whole story. So, you know, I mean, I think that's a really good mindset to have in normal everyday life too. Hey, I don't know what that person is going through or went through in the past or is, you know, how this is affecting them. So maybe if I have an open mind and ask questions first or just get over it, then I'll be a better person for it. That's actually not a bad correlation. Like that's, that's, that's very true. Cause you're only seeing like a snapshot, which is exactly what you're seeing with uh, reality TV. So it's like, you haven't seen anything around that. So yeah, yeah not to leap yes. too quickly to. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, a person might be a bit of a dick to you one day, but you don't like it you know, and it can affect you and you might be like, that person's a dick, but you know, there's obviously usually something going on behind them that is causing them to be a dick or they don't realize they're being a dick in that moment. So, you know, let's just be mindful that people can be dicks and there's something going on. <laughs> and just go and just smile and be like, Hey, yeah. I can teach you where to put the, the recycling bin is. Yeah. 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 And be like, Hey, you, yeah, you're being a dick, but you know, do you want some help? <laughs> To not be a dick. Yeah, actually, be like, is everything okay? Like, that's yeah. very dick awareness. <laughs> dick awareness month. Um. <laughs> that could be very easily mis- misconstrued. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's going to need a real good marketing campaign. Yeah, yeah. Might, might need a might need a name change. <laughs> uh, the, so actually, now that we're on the survivor talk, I guess I should do at least a quick little shout out to it. We've gotten so lost in the other stuff. Um, the so I guess the one thing I know is that my friends who do like survive, like first, it's like the longest running show ever at this point, mm-hmm. and. It does seem like the people who are fans, there is just such a very intense oh my God. fan base. Yeah, like, they're a cult. They are actually a cult. I, I met a guy. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, some of them are great. I met a guy today who uh, is a huge Survivor fan who has a tattoo of Survivor. Like, he's that into it. I'm like, well, that's that's cool, man. <laughs> yeah. It's each to their own. But it is a great show, so that's fine. Did you watch it before you went on? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I have watched a little bit. I mean, I can't say that I am a super fan or anything. Um, probably would have been a lot more helpful if I was a super fan. I've got to say, because from what <laughs> I understand, it's all about learning the strategies and all that. Yeah, stuff. well, yeah, and it's kind of like you can't have to be a dick on that show, to be honest, to like get through. Like you have to be a dick to the people that you make friends with at some stage if you really want to get like all the way through the end. So, um, <laughs> but you try to do it in like the least dickiest way. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of dicks going on this podcast today. That's sorry oh, yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just with that line, I'm picturing like the, the headline tomorrow, the biggest dick, one survivor. <laughs> Well. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it would be great. I would be happy to be the biggest dick and 500 grand richer, yeah. but um, <laughs> unfortunately it wasn't me. <laughs> That's a, so uh, like, I, I guess on that topic, just cause yeah, I, I'm a very casual watcher. I, I kind of know cause uh, I come the same age as you. So I've been watching it my whole life in like kind of the background, but never actually yeah. been as hectically engaged. Um, did you like, was that the first thing where that seemed like very national attention, that thing? Was that like a step up for you in terms of trying to get the profile in general, was yeah, kind of- yeah. Um, realistically, the reason that I went on it was one to it was, I thought it was a great challenge um, and a pretty cool thing to do. Uh, and I'm all about challenges and stepping outside of my comfort zone to um, do something fun. But two, it was really to you know pull 
put my name out there in front of people that wouldn't know me to spread awareness about the environmental work that I do um, and get eyes on you know some of the organizations that I work with um, so that you know it's just sharing the environmental love <laughs> a little bit further yeah. yeah no that makes that's it's a good way to do it I think yeah um, uh, look I don't, I don't know how much time I guess we should probably tie it off I guess eventually I'm just, I consider it ask so many questions but I'm going to keep you from everything else um, oh, that's fine um, I mean actually no one quick thing actually before we do um, in terms of books just because I'm very interested and this is a book show so I should at least have you shout out there um, in terms of biology is actually the one I'm more interested in was there any cornerstone books there that really stick out in your mind that you might have read mm. or experienced that kind of or even recently that kind of put you like where you're like, everyone should read this? Yeah. Um, actually, I, I mean, I read so many um, nerdy nature books, <laughs> like ridiculous amounts. Um, and I think some really good, easy entry-level ones that are interesting that have been written by a journalist, Susan Casey, um, that are quite cool to read. There's one called The Devil's Teeth about great white sharks in the Farallon Islands. But this woman, she goes as an investigative journalist and kind of gets into it, which is really cool. Um, another one called The Way that she wrote to Susan Casey and it's all about freak and rogue waves and you know she goes with Laird Hamilton the big wave surfer and then she looks at these huge waves that have occurred in Alaska and all over the North Sea and it's really interesting um really that sounds like such a topic that's like that's a book written on that yeah, and it's really it's a really cool book. Like it's easy to read um and it's just so interesting because she just like follows things about big waves all over the world and like gets into it from like there's science in there but it's really easily digestible so it's and I think it's just a really cool freaking topic and when you learn about this huge wave that happened in this um bay in Alaska not that long ago like it is hectic I'm gonna balls it up if I talk about how big it was so I'm not going to just know that it was really freaking huge (laughs) um what else uh have I been reading oh I read um phosphorescence by Julia Baird this one and I do have it next to me um it's actually a really beautiful book it's not necessarily about biology but it the whole premise of it comes from about phosphorescence and bioluminescence and things in nature that are sparkly and beautiful and create their own light. And it follows like a personal journey of hers, but it's just, it's quite a really beautiful book to um, have a little bit of self-awareness and reverence in, which I liked about it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I have so many, I should just put all my books on my Instagram because I would love people to nerd out on them. Yeah. There's another one called, um, <laughs> <laughs> true or poo <laughs> there that's it always is. a good okay, f- <laughs> fun fun animal book um, and then the, i've got like lots of books about butterflies the secret world of butterflies um is a really cool book about the exotic animal trade and and butterflies and how that how we're breeding butterflies to kill straight away so that people can put them on their walls because they'll be undamaged if they are bred in captivity and then killed immediately because if they live their life then usually you know they damage their wings because they have sex and they get like you know a bit rambunctious or a caterpillar nibbles on their wing or something so you don't want to put a half-eaten butterfly on your wall yeah Yeah, so all about that and and CITES which is the um you know the illegal trade of exotic species um and yeah, it's really, I mean, I find all this crap interesting. <laughs> Other people would be like, that's really boring. But I mean, I read a lot of nonfiction more so than fiction. And yeah, no, um, I'm, yeah, I like, I, I, a book I read a little while ago was about uh, discovering longitude. 
Ooh, <laughs> and how, there you go. The right clocks needed to find longitude. So I'm with you. I'm all about the deep dive. Like, yeah, when it comes to biology, you big nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's such a big like for me. Evolution's my thing because mm-hmm. I, I year eleven biology. I discovered what evolution was, and I've just been obsessed. <sighs> yes. Just, Have you read Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species? I've only read. Okay, here's something. Here's, here's something crazy happening when I was in uni. Right, I was reading yes. Charles Darwin the Origin of Spe- like I because I, I read uh, Dawkins uh, Selfish Gene, yep. and I've read yep. everything of Dawkins that has to do with evolution. Yes. I'm just obs- so good. Yeah, so good. But one recent <laughs> one is probably it's kind of evolutionary. It was the Gene by mm-hmm. if, you, if you know that one, it's called the Gene yep. by Siddhartha. Uh, I can't remember his full name. That was brilliant. But yeah, with Dawkins, right? I, I, with Darwin, I was in uni at one time, and I was sitting there, and someone was handing out um, books. Like that, the origin of the species, they were just handing out everything. I was like, oh, cool, as if. And then I opened it. I remember reading it and being like, this seems weird. Like, as in, I just <laughs> felt like it was missing something. And I actually went online and it turned out in a twist that it was a religious group that was handing out copies of Charles Darwin's The Origin of the Species, but with like sections cut out when they were handing it out what? to did it have like, and then there was a snake and a man ripped out his rib and created a woman. Oh, I, there's a vagina made out of a rib. Yeah. What? I mean, I don't, that doesn't make any sense, which yeah. is what's in the Bible. But that's crazy. <laughs> I'm not an ape. Yeah, no. I have, no, exactly. I was like, I was shocked because the part that blows my mind there, this actually is, and I, I, like you deal with this in anything. It's just ideology. But like the idea of someone sitting there and cutting it out and being like, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like pause for a second there, where you're like, I can't let this information be out there. Like, is, it, is there a leap there that you could do in your head? You're like, oh no, this gives it away too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't go from apes to humans. They went from ups to humans. It doesn't make it doesn't makes no sense. Yeah. How were they even? I don't even know how they would rip parts of that book out to make it make sense. Yeah, no, I, I just sense. remember it just seemed very choppy, and I was like very confused by it. There was like whole sections, but uh, yeah. Look on the bright side. Do you remember when like I feel like that part evolution is no longer up for question? I feel like. What do you reckon? Yes, I, I'm. Yes, I'm definitely on board with that. <laughs> yeah, but like no, I don't mean in terms of the science. I don't mean. <laughs> I just got one over, Laura. Actually, just two days. No, I mean in terms of like, um, if you again, because we're roughly the same age. Like, as in when we were younger, I feel like the idea of evolution was in pop culture even more up for debate than now? Like, are you, oh, do you yeah. see that yeah. switch of just general acceptance, which is, like, interesting, I think? Yeah, absolutely. Know. I mean, I hope that happens for climate change overnight <laughs> before it's too late. <laughs> I mean, the evolution thing, we it's, like, it's not too bad. It's not really affecting if people don't really believe it. I mean, each their own, but climate change, it actually makes a difference if people believe it or not. So, uh man. Yeah. <laughs> didn't end on the most positive note in this episode. Oh, God, so <laughs> depressive. <laughs> we like a dumpster fire, this goddamn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing so well. It was all happening. And, uh, and uh, just to remind you, the climate change is real, everyone. Uh, but on that note, is there any um, – um, before we sign off then, is there anything you want people to look at? I can put in the show notes as well, but any shout-outs you want to give, any specific causes or anything? And what can people do right now, I guess, that's like a real thing or right yeah, now or whatever? Yeah. I- There are so many amazing things people can do to make a difference right now. And if you want one of the best ways and most effective ways to uh, make a difference towards climate change is to understand where your super is invested because a lot of people don't understand. And there is Australians have around $3 trillion invested in super and a majority of that is invested in uh, fossil fuels and the way our super works, we don't really know where our money is going. So find out from your uh, superannuation company 
where your money is invested. And if they can't tell you or it is invested in fossil fuels and they don't have an option to not do that, then you can switch it over to somewhere like Future Super or Verve Super. And they're two of the best companies that are not funding fossil fuels. And I'm having amazing returns from them too. So that's one of the best ways that you can make a difference. Yeah. And, I, and, and funnily enough, in terms of forward thinking, every company is investing in anyway. So it does make sense. Yeah. It's a dying industry, essentially. That's a very good point though, because like, that is something anyone can do right now and just go online. And, yeah. 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 It's real easy. Be an adult. <laughs> nice. As, as, as if only everyone else could be. Yes. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for being on. That was a really fun chat. Um, yeah. That was awesome. So thanks very much, Laura Wells. No problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sandspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sandspantsplus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sandspantsplus.com.